0: Hello and welcome to the GSBA podcast, episode three. Joining me is Angela Palm, GSBA Director for Policy and Legislative Services, and Scott Bierman, GSBA Legislative Services Associate. And I'm your host, Justin Pauley, GSBA Director of Communications. In this episode, Angela and Scott are walking us through the 2019 legislative session of the Georgia General Assembly. We'll learn what bills made the final cut this year and what may be left for consideration In the second session of this 155th term. At this point, I want to just kind of move into your opening thoughts, um, overview, before we get into really some of the the meat of of what happened in this session. So Scott, Angela, I'll turn it over to you.
1: Okay, it was an interesting session. Um, Lots of drama, none of it related really, well little of it related to education some of it
2: related to education yeah
1: we did have those traumatic <laughs> moments um a, a lot of of other bills were going on as you saw in the newspapers um a lot of racket a lot of protests more than i've, I've seen in a long time cool. if ever i,
2: I uh, would say the last three four weeks of the session there were protesters there every day mm-hmm. celebrities there some days um a lot going on
1: yeah yeah um And also, uh, before we get too far into the rest of it, just uh, to go back to the budget for a minute, um, one of the things that we saw this session was um, the governor and lieutenant governor both focused on their campaign promises. And we saw that in the budget and we saw that in legislation that that came forward. Um, One of the things that Governor Kemp focused on in his campaign was school safety. And he did put money in the budget, the supplemental budget has $30,000 for each school um, for safety purposes, and also um, just under nine million for the apex program, uh, which is a mental a mental health program. Um, then in the 2020 budget, he went to his promise of the raise for the teachers. He said that he would do the five thousand dollar raise and started out with three thousand.
2: Right, and what he called a sizable down payment was, mm-hmm. was what the way he described it. Um, assuming that that the rest of that five thousand will come forward yeah in, in the next
1: yeah the next couple of years and and one thing about the teacher raises when we it's always called the teacher raise so everybody thinks of the classroom teachers getting a raise it actually applies to all the certified employees and so the legislature had to help out there moving money around to actually make sure that everybody got the 3000 that it was supposed to apply to so
2: right and the budget I feel like that kind of got overshadowed with this session a little bit we heard about a lot about it initially you know with the governor's Mm -hmm. budget that first week of session um we heard some back and forth between the house and senate and kind of figuring out what they want how they want to put their stamp on the budget but there was a lot going back to your earlier point there was a lot of other stuff there and it seemed like especially to the members the session dragged on a little bit I think around day twenty, maybe even slightly before, we started seeing some tired members, some guys and and ladies Mm -hmm. who were kind of ready to be home.
1: Yeah, they were trying to get through quickly, um, and they also we had long weeks this this year. They did the same thing last year, but I think even more this year. Um, because frequently they would actually be in session only two to three days a week, and then we had a couple of committee days. They actually were in session four to five days almost every week. So they wore out the lobbyists as well as themselves. Um, <clears throat>
0: well, uh, one of the questions I had for you guys is, is I know it seemed things really started rolling after the Super Bowl. What kind of impact did that have? make just very briefly as we're still in these opening thoughts
1: <laughs> the Super Bowl um, it turned out better than it did last year if you remember last year just before we opened the session or as we opened it was that whole um, football championship thing y'all might remember that no I'm from Alabama so I definitely remember <laughs> I'd say the Alabama person
2: likes to bring that up <laughs>
1: <laughs> no but that also had an impact because uh, we started this session I believe on the day of the game, if I remember correctly. And everybody expected Georgia to win.
2: yeah. So they were
1: all set to celebrate. And and, and there was
2: also an ice storm around the same time or or something. Yeah, there was
1: also the weather was going on last year. And and so... um, This year, the whole Super Bowl thing worked out much better than than last year's um, football interruption, shall we say. Um, (laughs) And so I I think that they – it's sort of like when companies come in and Mm -hmm. you make sure your house is clean. And if you're a parent, you make sure that you talk to your children about remembering their company manners and and doing everything. And I think that knowing that we were on the national, international stage – Everybody was trying to put their best foot forward and make sure that everything looked good. Nobody was going to do anything um, provocative (laughs) um, legislatively to to get the session started. Um, It was just very much setting the stage of y'all come and y'all have fun and, and that
2: and yeah that's a, and, and I don 't know how many of y'all made it downtown to downtown Atlanta during the super Bowl but it it was a good thing. They took several days off and it was a good thing. They were shutting streets down um, some uh, olympic park was was taken over by the Super Bowl all that area, so the pressure put on the downtown streets would have been just incredible had they stayed in session and brought mm-hmm. an additional three four five hundred people down there who are there for session every day
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I asked that because it seems like um, as soon as kind of the Super Bowl began to wrap up, I wondered if that had an impact on creating the longer weeks that you indicated Mm -hmm. earlier um, and kind of gave a little bit more crunch time than usual Mm -hmm. versus having a little bit extra time to begin to work through things. There was a little bit of a distraction there.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right. I think that is one thing that led to the longer weeks later because they also wanted to finish um, for spring break. Because many of them do have young children. Um, and so they want to spend break, spend spring break with their families. And they don't want to take that week off and come back after it, although we've certainly done that before. But just for everybody's sake, just finish what you got to finish and, and go and i think they were trying to to make sure that happened right
2: and in in this year they unlike in years past where they on signing die stuck around after midnight they, you know they made sure this year to wrap i think they made a point of it to say <laughs> they wrapped up by 11:59 yeah. i think that had something to do with it that they mm. were ready to get out of town and after mm-hmm. such a uh, maybe not long in terms of the number of days but long is in or a lot of long hours or a lot of mm-hmm. long like you mentioned 5 day weeks that that don't sound like a lot like oh yeah we all work five day weeks but when you're down there it's just a little to them anyways it's just a little different right. um there's a lot of pressure um by the end of the session they were getting a little antsy they were getting a little mm-hmm. on edge not to you know not say that in negative light but you know you're there for 40 plus session you're 40 session days and then mm-hmm. all the committee days built in people are always asking you for things and telling you you're wrong yes. about things you know that i'm mm-hmm. sure that gets old after a while so
1: yeah, and, and for those of you who haven't been down to the Capitol, um, I, I, what Scott said made me think of this whenever you say, okay, I work five days a week, so what's the big deal? Um, most of them are in their offices early in the morning. Um, they're all, they're mostly all there by 8. Um, they go into session usually at 10, but they also have committee meetings in the morning. Um, they may start a committee meeting at 7.30 in the morning. And so they may have one to two committee meetings before they go into session um, they're also trying to set up appointments for people who want to come see them whether it's a lobbyist or whether it's somebody from home um, and they are all on several committees so sometimes they have to leave one committee meeting to go straight to another one um, and which may already be in progress and then if the session runs long that day it throws off the whole time in committee meetings and so they may be going continually the entire day from early in the morning until on into the evening.
2: Right, and simple things like going to the restroom and eating lunch where you're just, you know, where we take take for granted. We mm-hmm. block an hour out, we go get lunch, we do whatever. They're always, they're a member of the General Assembly. They're, they're in public. People stop them. When they walk to any other office in the Capitol, right. people are stopping them, asking them questions. So it's when mm-hmm. you say that they're always – on they're always on they Mm -hmm. have to be always on so they get straining i mean they can't after 40 days of that that's that's probably enough
1: right And, and they're they're all having to focus on different topics like we're all about education but there are healthcare people and legal people insurance people every topic in the universe and they all have to deal with those and so one person's coming at you about one issue and another person's another issue and another person's another issue And it's got to be incredibly difficult mentally um, and not to mention physically, just moving around
0: all that much. Yeah, it's certainly intense. Um, Any other opening thoughts? I know you mentioned the budget. Um, Mm -hmm. Anything else that you guys wanted to add to it before we move into the next segment?
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think we touched the first two episodes on the new chairman. I I think Mm -hmm. this is an appropriate time to just commend them on the job they did for being – Uh, new chairman education you know for Mm -hmm. chairman jaspers but new chairman overall for chairman martin in the senate uh, i think that they did a fantastic job i mean there are a lot of education groups it it gets emotional in there at times from you know a lot of parents and students and Mm -hmm. um they did a great job handling all that there's a lot of pressure on them and that committee and and both of them just handled it well
1: Mm -hmm. they did um both of these chairmen um Are very go about their how they do things very differently from each other but one of the things they do have in common is neither one takes anything personally Um, they if you object to a bill that they're backing they don't get upset or their feelings aren't hurt Um, they're just looking at the policy of it and if you oppose it then why are you opposing it what's wrong with it how do we fix it um, they both go about it in that way.
2: Yeah, they they both seem very much in the mind of let's make the best policy possible. Not yeah. I have to be right and you are wrong. It's mm-hmm. let's do the let's do the best we can. And and if you go in and treat them with respect and are you know they're they're respectful back. They're not gonna if you know if you mm-hmm. go in and start yelling at them and <laughs> calling them names and whatever, then I'm sure they would not take to that kindly. But right, you know, fortunately we didn't see any of that this year. But they they were mm-hmm. great to work with.
1: Yeah, they were. I never once heard this session. Oh, yeah, we know there has some issues. We'll pass it and fix it next year.
2: Um, oh, so that
1: that was that was a relief.
2: That was very much a relief. I don't you know the way Chairman Jaspers in particular runs his committee is very much. We're going to get this right and we're going to make sure that every th- every angle of this is discussed before we we move it forward. Um, and he um, for those of you who came to any of the committee hearings this year or, or read any in the reports, The way the house does it they'll do subcommittee where they do a lot of hashing things out that's where you get the testimony that's where you get a lot of the the experts quote unquote coming in um, discussing the bill discussing the topics so they can work on it in subcommittee before it goes to the full committee where they have even more discussion so they take it to kind of a double layered uh system of of Mm -hmm. scrutiny
1: yeah so okay let's talk about whatever's coming next justin
2: okay oh I
0: know it's on everyone's mind, so let's just jump right in. Um, Let's get into the voucher bill. Um, Tell us a little bit about the background and walk us through uh, what you guys saw.
2: Yeah, so if you follow Capital Watch, you probably got a lot of information on the nuts and the bolts, the specifics of the bill itself. So I don't think we're going to do too much of that today. Mm -hmm. But what we want to do is kind of give you guys a timeline of what happened how it happened and 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 give you an idea of of where it could possibly go in the future like like
1: right one of the things that i try to do in capital watch and we want to do here is help you really be familiar with the legislative process um and understand how things work um it's not exactly like you learned in civics um no <laughs> so okay scott
2: so okay we'll start with the timeline we'll, we'll, we'll start we'll walk through the timeline um and we'll add in things as we go because one thing that we mentioned in capital watch throughout the session is oh there are rumors about this the rumors we're hearing rumors well we kind of want to add we want to give some color to that just so you don't Mm -hmm. so you can kind of hear oh that's what that rumor was so we'll start with february 13th back going back to justin's question about the super bowl (laughs) right after the super bowl maybe about a week or so house bill 301 was introduced in the House. by West Kentrell from up in Cherokee County. This was the uh, the sim- very similar ESA, the Education Savings Account Bill, that we saw last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, again, introduced on the 13th. But six days later, the House Ways and Means Subcommittee uh, held a hearing, a hearing only that day. They didn't vote it out on the same bill.
1: Right. Um, and by the way, that subcommittee, uh, all the subcommittees of Ways and Means have a general rule that they hold two hearings before they vote a bill out uh, to the full committee. So obviously we were all working on it at that point and had seen the deficiencies. Um, GSBA has a longstanding position in opposition to um, any kind of voucher, or whatever they call it. Uh, whether it's an education savings account, straight voucher, tuition, tax credit, or whatever other name they come up with, Um, and we also have a legislative position saying that if the legislature chooses to move forward with one, that it should include accountability, it should include transparency, um, there should be consequences for these schools, Um, and so basically put them in the same kind of environment that public schools operate in if they're going to take the taxpayer money. And so as we looked at that and started looking at how much it was going to cost because they said it was revenue neutral and it really wasn't. So, Scott, what happened next?
2: Yeah, so after the 19th, um, the Ways and Means Subcommittee, again, like you mentioned, held the first hearing, and they discussed at that time that they would have another one. Obviously, they have to have two, and the second one they voted out that there would be another one, and that would be coming up. Just three days later, on the twenty-second, uh, the Senate uh, Senator Dolezal introduced Senate Bill One Seventy-Three, which is which was the exact same bill, just in the Senate. Mm-hmm. At this point, I, I think the House version lost a lot of steam. I don't. Know.
1: It did lose a lot of steam, and it lost a lot of steam because we had all been talking about how it was going to cost money, yeah. and they kept saying it wasn't going to cost money, and we started coming up with some numbers. And they decided to have a fiscal note, and when that fiscal note came out on just how much it would cost as that bill was written, it started to fizzle, and so the Senate decided to take up the charge. Right.
2: A lot of momentum that was building around that first Ways and Means Committee meeting, it fell off pretty quickly once they start getting the numbers in. Um, so then they shifted focus to the Senate, where uh, Senator Dolezal dropped his bill on the twenty second. Like I mentioned, six days later we had the Senate Finance hearing. Um, started with a subcommittee hearing in the morning, where they took. Uh, and so, what
1: time was that meeting? Uh, it was
2: like eight or nine o'clock in the no, morning. No, it was
1: not. It was at seven thirty in the morning. I was there. I don't. <laughs> I was there. I don't remember. I just remember
2: being there really early.
1: Yeah, it was early. It was early.
2: So they did a subcommittee hearing in the morning. And then around noon, 1 o'clock, they did a full committee Senate finance hearing. Um, very similar to, like I mentioned earlier, with Chairman Jaspers. In the House, in education, they do a public comment during subcommittee. Usually don't take comment during the full committee. Correct. So we were there. Um, there are folks there that morning to, to represent GSBA on your behalf and your, your, the position that, that you um, support and vote on. Every year, at delegate assembly, um, which is coming up, by the way, in <laughs> <And> June. <you? laughs> so we had a we had the hearing on the twenty eighth. The first thing I think Representative, Dole, Representative Senator Dole's on. I don't mean to give him a different title. Um, the first thing he said, first thing out of his mouth was, "There are changes to the bill. We don't have the bill text yet." So everybody who was there to kind of speak about the bill and specifically kind of hone in on the financial aspect of it it's kind of where we were getting i think mm-hmm. we were getting a lot of our points from right away that was that was hey we're changing that we don't have the bill text yet you'll see it later so mm-hmm. the hearing happens later that day the full senate finance meets we get the bill text and they took out some of the language that would have been very damaging to to the mm-hmm. local districts
1: right um So they fixed one part, but didn't fix the other part and made no attempt to address any need for accountability or transparency or any of the other things. Um, One of the things that we found most bizarre in in the bill, and it was in every version we saw, um, when it came to reporting, there was an annual report required. um, But they would keep secret the names of the participating private schools. And we couldn't figure out why that sh- well, it definitely shouldn't be a secret because the public ought to know where their money's going. Um, but we couldn't even figure out why they wouldn't want to keep it a secret
2: right, and that goes back to the legislative position you mentioned earlier the that you know we ask for trans or we ask on your mm-hmm. behalf for transparency and anything like this that these private schools should be transparent with the way they're spending taxpayer money
1: right. Um, So then it moved on. It came out of Senate Finance, went to Senate Rules, um, and I sent out alerts, and all of you did your due diligence, and you called, and you emailed, and gave them grief, and I thank you for that. Um, And and and, uh, then uh, it did go to the Senate floor.
2: Yep, on March 5th, uh, it was a Tuesday, uh, Senate, made it to the Senate floor, they voted, and the vote failed uh, 25 to 28 so they didn't receive enough votes and we all kind of figured that this was not done and I think this is where the fun starts
1: yeah because um, the ones who were pushing it were not happy Um, the lieutenant governor um, supported the bill Um, the governor supports the idea of choice um, including this this idea um, and so when it failed on, on the floor of the Senate, we knew that they would try to come back. As, as soon as the vote was over, somebody made a motion to reconsider, which they said they would take up the following day. And that's always at the top of the agenda to do that. And so we were all preparing for the next day to see what would happen. And nothing happened (laughs) nothing happened
2: we were waiting and kind of keeping our eye on the senate to see what would go would go down and uh, the way the the senate rules work when you do that you have to take it up the beginning of the following day Mm -hmm. um and once they got past the beginning we realized it it wasn't going to come up that day um so between march 6th the day after the vote and april 2nd this is like i said this is where the fun started (laughs) this is where the rumors started picking up um I think multiple times we heard from both Republicans and Democrats that, "Hey, this is be, this today is the day. It's going to be added as an amendment to another mm-hmm. bill." Um, no, to, today's not the day. It's tomorrow. They're going to add it today, in and in a rules. Mm-hmm. Do you want to touch on some more of those rumors? Yeah,
1: and... yeah, and 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 just to let you know, another part of the process is once it failed on the Senate floor, the first thing we did was look at what bills were available there are certain rules about attaching bills so it had to be something that was either in title 20 or something with a topic that was germane to the idea of education savings accounts so we identified the bills that it could possibly go on and were careful about keeping an eye on any time they were in committee or headed to the floor Um, and in the meantime um, all of you Kept up the drumbeat basically of this is out there and this is what it does and this is what it's gonna cost so then we got some help in an unexpected quarter um, knowing that the governor uh, did support it and did support um, school choice um, he started he had heard um, about the issues with the bill particularly on the finance side mm-hmm. And um, helped to get some changes made to the bill um, sure. when it was attached um, incident education to House bill 68.
2: right and and I'll add on that a little bit. The governor was great during this this process and just listening to what was being said, um, listening to us and we were we were directly and indirectly having, getting our points across to the Mm -hmm. governor's office. So he was aware and he was very receptive, very receptive to hearing kind of going back to our point earlier about how chairman Jaspers and chairman Martin were very open to hearing and trying to improve. I think governor Kemp was in the same Mm -hmm. light there. He very much wanted to improve this. Um, but you mentioned Bill 68, March 20th, uh, the, during a Senate education meeting, the committee added the text of the, um, original senate bill 173 or house bill 301 um, with slight changes to to the house bill 68 which the underlying bill was um uh,
1: the underlying number. bill was the one that um uh, an, any accrediting organization could not also become a student scholarship organization
2: right. and that was representative carson and yes. fortunately for him this his underlying bill got a little overshadowed with the
1: I'm not sure that he would have regretted that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, yeah, the second time it was, well, the, this time when it was added, the, the financial language that had been changed was was still changed. It was more friendly to to where we were. But a lot of the other issues mm-hmm. that we addressed were not changed. So we still had um, reporting mm-hmm. requirements that were, were not consistent with the public schools. There was some money for college uh, uh, tuition in there.
1: Well, they uh, took that one out.
2: During the... Yeah,
1: during the hearing in the Senate ed, that was one of the points that I made to them that should be changed. And they, um, uh, Senator Matt Brass, um, made an amendment to the bill. Um, Originally, the money could roll over, any money left over could roll over. And when they graduated from high school, it could be used for college. And um, he did take my suggestion and remove that from the bill.
2: So with after those after that change and a couple minor others, they, they moved it from committee, and this is where it goes to the rules committee. It's like every other bill, it goes to the mm-hmm. rules committee for them to put it on the calendar for the Senate floor. Again, more rumors. We heard a lot of, oh, it's coming up tomorrow. Today's the day. They're going to add it to the calendar. It'll be on tomorrow. We heard a lot of, um, no, they're not going to pull the bill out. They're going to just add it to another bill, and they're going to sneak that one out and – there's a lot of a lot of that. A lot of there
1: was a, a lot of that, and um, ultimately, once again, to your credit, um, everybody kept it up, and so they stripped it out of the bill and rules, and so it never actually showed up again. But all of Sonny and I, um, yeah. there were rumors that from beginning very early that morning that it was going to be attached to a particular bill.
2: We had a we had a bill number. We had multiple bill numbers, actually, that, hey, this could be the one. Um, We had suggestions on who would do it, when it would happen. We had – so we were – we had to stay diligent that day to make sure that – I think I sat up in the gallery. um,
1: Yeah, you were watching the Senate to see what happened because the House ended up opening the door, but I don't think that was what they meant to do. Um, The bill in question was Senate Bill 68, which was the one that had some requirements around financial governance. Um, Boards and superintendents would have to follow certain rules if they were um, deemed high risk financially. Um, And so that fit the bill for it to be attached to. And so the Senate had made changes to Senate Bill 68. It had to go back to the House for an agreement and when it got to the House they disagreed to the Senate version of the bill. Now usually, if there's a disagreement vote, when it goes back to the other chamber, they insist on their version and it goes into a conference committee. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to make very sure it did not go to a conference committee because when the conference committee meets, it's very rarely announced. um, And it's much harder to to weigh in on what's gonna go into the bill. So we wanted to try to make sure it didn't go there Um, And so, ultimately, the way it works is the sponsor of the bill um, is usually the person to call for agreement, disagreement, whatever the motion is going to be. And that was Senator Freddie Powell Sims. And she decided not to call it for agreement so that it would stop the process in case somebody did have the idea that they were going to attach the voucher bill in there.
2: Right. And so that effectively for this session
0: mm-hmm. stopped it
2: so but yes. so again from march 13th to april 2nd the day sine died, and i don't think we felt comfortable on signing <laughs> die until eleven fifty or so yes uh, um that this wasn't going to go anywhere another point about the conference committees not to get too into the weeds here but if you're in amending a bill on the senate floor there are certain rules you have to follow um Mm-hmm. And certain length of amendment rules, and the the original text of the e s a bill would have been too long, and it would have sl- there would have been a need to waive the rules or and, and so that would have been impossible when you get to the conference committee, kind of all bets are off you can kind of do whatever yes. you want to a degree,
1: yeah, anything can go in there um so all right. I hope, hope that wasn't too detailed <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a lot, and I know it was i know it was just overwhelming at times, I'm sure, um, because even outside of the Capitol, there were rumors flying. So <laughs> yeah. you can only imagine what was going on inside. Um, we've got two more pieces of legislation that we wanna get to. The um, Next one, we want to talk a little bit about the Tim Tebow bill. What can you tell us?
1: Okay, this will be much shorter, I can guarantee it. Mm-hmm. So we'll the next one. Uh, the Tim Tebow bill, um, is a a bill that would allow homeschoolers to participate in extracurricular activities and interscholastic sports at the school, um, the public school to which they would go were they actually attending a public school. Um, This used to come up on a regular basis and we had kind of a lull. It didn't used to be, it was way before Tim Tebow, um, whenever we had this. And then ever since Tim Tebow came along, it's always called the Tim Tebow bill. The version we saw this year was a little bit different than the ones we've had uh, prior to this. And one of the things that everybody needs to understand about the bill, when people talk about this idea, they almost always talk about high school sports. But actually, the bill applied to K-12.
2: Right, right. Applied to to K-12 in in any extracurricular activity that fell within the jurisdiction of GHSA and...
1: Well, it applied to all extracurricular activities and in right. interscholastic sports and basically would have overruled the, the current GHSA rule right. that says that a student has to be enrolled in that school in order to participate in teams that play in, in their meets. Um, the idea has always been, or the claim, in that these families pay taxes just like everybody else and they get nothing for it. And so they are therefore entitled to come back and use the facilities and participate in these activities. Um, we all pay taxes for things that we don't use.
0: I was going to ask a question. the When you say all extracurricular activities, would that mean like Justin Polly is on the chess team and if Jimmy down the street wants to, is a homeschooler and wants to get on the chess team, he can.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, and it also said that if the extracurricular activity involved a co-curricular course, then the students could enroll in that, and that's band and chorus.
2: Right, so you're a marching band, anything like mm-hmm. that, where you have to take
1: a class. A class in third, addition yeah. to the after-school activity, then they would also be coming back to deal with that. One of the issues there is that as a homeschooler, the parent is in control, obviously, of the academics and the records. And so for sports, where we typically require students to be in good academic standing to participate, the parents would have to affirm that their child was in fact in good academic standing, but the local board would not be allowed to ask any questions, ask for further verification, or any of those things so um, that was part of the issue around this now GSBA has a, a position again and we've, we've had it for a long time um, opposing the participation of any student that is not enrolled in the school that if they have decided if the parents have, have exercised their right to decide to homeschool their child which is certainly their right and we respect that absolutely then they have then decided to exclude their child from the school. And so it's not a recreational league. It's not a a community. Right. We heard a lot of comparisons to rec leagues,
2: uh, to little leagues or to middle, you know, the outside organizations. And I think those are two completely different conversations. You know, rec leagues and little leagues are different than your high school football team. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Uh, Schools try to build a community around their students. A lot of the research in the last several years around um, strong performing schools deals with uh, building relevance for the students as well as relationships. And so if we're going to turn that into a place where people can just come and take whichever part of it they want, then that changes the whole culture of the the
0: school. Absolutely. So just um, tell me a little bit, very briefly, I know we need to move on to the next piece. Um, If a student is not enrolled in the school system, how does the money follow or how does the money work?
1: Um, There is no money for that student, excuse me, if they're not enrolled in the school this, the school district turns in their student count, is called FTE count, <clears throat> to the state, and that's how state money is appropriated. So there would be no state money that the district is getting for a student that's not enrolled in the school. Those parents pay property taxes or they pay rent, which I'm sure is, is built I'm sure to cover the property taxes in yeah. there. So directly or indirectly, they're paying property taxes just like all the rest of us are. Um, and so the property taxes go to the school district for the school portion, the county or city for, the, for their portion. Um, again, we all pay those taxes, and they cover a large number of services. A good number of those none of us use or hope we never have to use. Um, I don't want to ever have to call the fire truck, um, right. but I'm happy to pay so that we have a fire department if needed. I don't. I don't want. I need, need the police. I certainly don't want to end up in jail. Um, <laughs> but I want all of those things there to protect the community and, and right. so that we do have a strong right. community.
2: And as we have the conversation around using our education system as like a community development and kind of a business development, workforce development, this isn't an investment that we all kind of put in if, right. if especially if you're a small business owner you're, you're mm-hmm. going to hire people in your community from the schools in your community would right. you want those to be i mean that's just kind of the investment that they're
1: mm-hmm. making yeah so those are some of the larger ideas around it and, and some of the reasons why school board members have taken the legislative position that they have
2: right um mm-hmm. it, it sounds like chairman jasper's in the house wants to do a study maybe not a formal study committee mm-hmm. on this but at least look at it in the off session um Senator Thompson who sponsored the bill in the Senate uh, seems like he's really passionate about this issue and, and yes. I expect to, him to bring it back up next year. Um, in the interim, the GHSA has a proposed rule that would um, that would take it out of the legislature's hands or, and, and give mm-hmm. it a, a rule level on, on for them that would al- kind of allow the local districts to make that decision on whether or not to allow um, homeschoolers to participate
1: right they have a meeting scheduled for april 15th and they're going to that's on their agenda to vote to decide where it be left up to the district um, whether they would allow uh, non-enrolled students to participate um, in sports and that would take ghsa out of out of the decision
0: wow yeah it's it's incredible it's it's interesting that we can talk this much about Just a few pieces of legislation, Um, and as you mentioned before, I can't imagine legislators having to do this with every piece that comes across their desk Mm -hmm. and hearing from all the different constituents involved. Um, Let's look at the dual enrollment bill. Um, What can you guys tell us about that?
1: Uh, That one came out of the blue, but it it was from the governor's office um, after they did the budget and took a look at how much it was costing and how quickly the costs are escalating. Five years ago, the state budgeted $16 million for the dual enrollment program. And when they did the budget this year, it was $105 million. So in five years, that's quite a jump. Um, Now the previous administration was strongly pushing dual enrollment um, and, and seemed to want to get as many students as possible to be part of that. Um, this administration is taking a different view of it, and you'll see that in, in the changes that they propose, propose. But clearly, they want a much more directed path for students taking part in that. Right.
2: And it's not that they're, not to speak on behalf of the administration, but I don't think that they're by any means anti-dual enrollment. I think no, not at all. I think they want to preserve dual enrollment. They just They recognize that the budgets can't keep going up by a hundred million every five years.
1: Right. So if we want to preserve it, then we've got to take a look at what it is. So one of the things that they proposed in the bill was, um, for dual enrollment can apply to either university system schools or technical colleges. So for students in the university system, only 11th and 12th graders would be able to, to participate in it. Now, I've heard from some people that the university close to them has already done this because of space. Um, so right. apparently it's already being done to some degree um, for just juniors and seniors to be able to participate. For technical colleges, the sophomores could also participate.
2: Right. And, and also of note, any freshmen or sophomores who are currently in the program, the dual enrollment program, mm-hmm. they would be grandfathered in. Not,
0: mm-hmm. You know,
2: the, This bill didn't pass this session because um, there were some concerns or some work back and forth. Um, But moving forward, I'm I'm sure that's something they'll try to keep in.
1: Yeah, they'll make sure that everybody that's in it will be able to complete it. Um, The other move that they were making was to limit the number of hours the state would pay for, and that was going to be 30. And it couldn't be any summer courses um, to be part of that 30 hours. The students could take more hours than that if they wanted to. And they could take summer courses if they wanted to, but they Mm -hmm. would have to pay for it. Right. And then they were building in an, an an opportunity for, they were calling it early hope. And so the mm-hmm. students, if they didn't have the money to pay for it or didn't want to pay for it, they could start dipping into their hope money. But it would be counted against their hope limitation.
2: Right. <laughs> and at 30 hours, that's roughly the end of your freshman year of college. So you're looking at one year there the, to knock off over your mm-hmm. junior and senior years of high school.
1: Yeah, so um, questions were raised. There were there was consternation. Um, a lot of people were worried about the ninth graders not being able to participate, but they said that when they looked at the numbers, there were only about 2,000 ninth graders in the state who are participating. So mm-hmm. it clearly would not have had a wide impact.
2: Right, and I mean there was some argument made that ninth graders in general – kind of need that high school experience. They need to be there. They need to learn how to be mm-hmm. a teenager in high right. school. And... <coughs> yeah, there is part of that
0: transition experience um, involved. So we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground here, um, and we've covered a lot of good information. Um, as we look towards our wrap-up, are there some other bills? Uh, is there anything that you guys want to add? Anything we might have missed that you want to touch on um, before we get to our sign-off period?
2: Yeah, I think one of the big ones that we've talked about a lot over the last I don't know year almost is the calendar bill. We did see a calendar bill pop up, the mandatory statewide calendar. Um, this one would have provided with what with what the legislators like to call guardrails and. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, but there was a specific date that you can't start before. And, um, that bill was scheduled for a hearing in, the, in a House subcommittee, and it never actually got there. They canceled the the they pulled the bill from the from the committee agenda before we uh, the meeting started. So it was introduced. It's like a, like we said about a lot of things so far. It's still out there. Um, they the members definitely got some pushback on that, though. That seems like they don't really want to address that right now. yeah
1: i think they were fighting with us on enough fronts (coughs) sorry about the coughing everybody um (coughs) so that one didn't pass another one that uh did get a hearing and they tried two different ways to move it through was the one about your public comment period i don't know of any of you that don't have a public comment period but legislators certainly felt that some of you do not and they also thought you got too many rules around your public comment period um, so they wanted to eliminate um, your requiring prior sign up to public comment. So that was House Bill 464.
2: Right, and there they also there was some leeway within that bill itself where you could still um, it's up to the board chair to set the time limit and and the number of speakers. They said you could still do those things. You could say only two speakers, or mm. you could say for five minutes 30 seconds however long Um, so there's still leeway there for the individual boards to make up their their minds on on what this looks like but it would require public comment um, at every monthly regular Regular meeting meeting. yeah
1: Yeah, right Um, so that bill got to house rules and didn't go any farther so then they tried attaching it to senate bill 68 which got Not to be confused with House Bill 68. <laughs> <laughs> right. So <laughs> Senate Bill 68 was the one that we mentioned earlier that got caught up in the whole voucher thing on sign die They did change it a little bit so that you could have a 24-hour um, uh, sign-up period prior to your actual meeting. Um, but as we said, that one is still over in the Senate. So Senate Bill 68 when we go back in January we'll be, still be available for <clears throat> agreement or disagreement and House Bill 464 will be in house rules and will be recommitted to the House Education Committee
2: right so it could come out in two different ways at this point um, another bill that we saw and it's kind of year after year after year is the recess bill um, that would require ish uh, <laughs> 30 minutes of recess and was it k-12 or just no, elementary k-5, k-5, k-5. right <laughs> sixth graders need recess too
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure middle schoolers would love the break um it required uh, 30 minutes unless they had pe or as a structured activity that day uh, but it encouraged you to have 30 minutes a day every day regardless of what else they were doing and also prohibits boards from allowing it to be withheld for academic or disciplinary reasons and that's one of the major changes really in the current state law
2: right um and so that one's now to the governor um, yeah the governor has that one The governor has that one and we will be i guess may 9th through the 13th we're still trying to pin <laughs> that <them> down
1: yeah <laughs> i haven't counted yet i've seen different dates for when his 40 days are up
2: so he'll have he'll have the chance to sign that uh in the next roughly month or so um
1: yeah and and after he signs uh everything and issues his vetoes we'll do a final capital watch with everything in it Mm -hmm. um and also um just reminding everybody particularly the school board members and we have our annual policy workshop in savannah and that will be june 6th and um our attorneys phil hartley will uh review everything legislatively as well as other um legal issues
2: right and and going back to capital watch for a sec any any you know we only talked about six bills here i know we talked for 45 minutes a little longer than our last episode um there are a lot more bills a lot more that pass a lot more that didn't pass a lot more still hanging out there um check your old capital watches go back online you can go to the hub app there you go to the left side of the page there's a the, the drop down menu there's a section there for capital watch you can go read the old ones and if you have any questions uh, about anything you heard today or any other bills um, feel free to shoot either of us an email or respond to we're going to send this out via capital watch respond to that email and we'll get it um we'll be sure to get your your answer your questions answered on the next podcast
0: well great well thank you both so much for all your hard work during the session like i said this we're only covering a little bit of of uh what we've seen so far But I can't even imagine the day-to-day activity on all the things that are coming across. And this is just an education. So we thank you guys for what you do. And thank everyone for joining us for this third episode of the GSBA podcast. For more information on the GSBA podcast, visit gsba.com or search anywhere podcasts are available.